Hello and welcome to another episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. I'm the titular Sean. And I'm the very titular Carrie. And listeners, while this is episode 51, it is our 52nd episode because <laughs> of the Paracon special. And so that means, um, since, given that we haven't missed a week since we started this podcast, Caroline, happy one year anniversary. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked about this a little bit last episode because it was our 50th so that felt like a milestone as well but yeah this is our official one year mark um we we hit this year mark before we hit our wedding anniversary yeah that makes all that all the math works out there we started mm -hmm. uh started just about uh about a month before our wedding yeah yeah uh, I hope that everyone's been enjoying the show I think we've covered a whole wide variety of topics uh, yeah. We've covered men with mummy brides and ghost dolls and... Thieving skydivers. Thieving skydivers and... Uh, Kidnapped uh, bank robber terrorists. Mm -hmm. Shady UFO cult starters. And the satanic panic. A lot of that, yeah. Broad topic that that is. <laughs> um, but... All that said, Caroline, what are we talking about today? And I know that this combines a few of your loves because this is, has a little bit of murder and a little bit of celebrity gossip. <laughs> and you know I love murder. Yeah, I mean, we've discussed many times before on the show, but especially in our two-part Hollywood horrors series that we did early on, that I have a fascination with film and film stars since... Of course, I'm a filmmaker myself, and I love the history of my profession. One story that has always stood out to me as both especially tragic and especially mysterious is that of Natalie Wood and her untimely death at the young age of 43. Oh no, that means, that means I'm going to have to do Christopher Walken impressions. He's definitely involved, yeah. This, yeah, And the fact that he is is kind of something that's forgotten about a lot in Christopher Walken lore. Is it? Well, it comes up here and there, but... I feel like it's the third thing I think of. It's Deer Hunter, Two Mice Fell really? in a Bucket of Cream, He Was There When Natalie Wood Died. Really? I, it's not even one of the top three things I think of, and I'm like, into this stuff. Two mice fell <laughs> into a bucket of cream. Well... There's so much weirdness surrounding the drowning of Natalie Wood in 1981 that, unlike other cases, there have been actual recent developments that dramatically change the story, even almost 40 years later. That is incredible. It's also like a little more recent than I think of. I think of Natalie Wood as a star of old Hollywood, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? So 1981, that feels like the modern era to me somehow. Yeah, it is interesting. Um, I don't think of her as having been around in the 80s, which obviously she barely was. But. Right. It's kind of like John Lennon in a way. Like you think of him so attached to the 60s that the fact that he did survive into 1980 is weird. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I'm going to dive into her case today. No pun intended. And I'll, of course, begin with some backstory because, as you know, Sean, I think context is very, very key in any case or mystery. Yeah, it's one of our guiding principles. Mm -hmm. So let's get started. Natalie Wood was an extraordinarily talented actress from an incredibly young age. 
Our listeners may recognize her from a variety of places, but most likely as a child actress in the original Miracle on 34th Street, or as a young woman in classics like Rebel Without a Cause with James Dean, and the film adaptation of the musical West Side Story. Right, and that was late 60s, so like where was... That was early 60s. So where was she? What was she doing in in 1980? We're getting there, Sean, we're getting there. Natalie's mother, Maria, had visited a psychic in China when she was younger, who told Maria that she would have a child that would be known internationally, and also that someone was going to die from drowning in her life. These were both in the same Yeah, session? it was a very loaded session, apparently. But they didn't mention that the, the child, the famous child, would be the one who drowned. Yeah, it's it's hard to f- find the exact wording um, because it's kind of been repeated in different sources and things like that. But it's at least someone going to die from drowning. That would, if my mom told me that, I would not <laughs> like going to the beach, uh, certainly hanging out on yachts. Well, Maria did develop a fear of drowning and especially dark water because of this, which she eventually passed on to her daughter. Oh, but because of this session, Maria also felt strongly that Natalie would become famous. When you say dark water, you just mean really deep water? Deep water, yeah. Not like pool water. Like, my mom kind of has a fear of that. Um, but, like, pools are fine. Sure, you can see, yeah, you can see the More bottom. control, yeah. There's no sharks there. Yeah, she wasn't afraid of sharks, but the drowning was an issue. She probably should have been a little afraid of sharks. Yeah, maybe. Maria had dreamed of becoming an actress or ballet dancer during her childhood in Siberia and China, but she had never achieved that success. Siberia and China? What was her life? Uh, It was an interesting life, for sure. Um, The wanting to be an actress or whatever, but never really reaching that goal is definitely the recipe for, like, a silver screen stage mom situation. Oh, Totally. That was the first thing I thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how old was um, Natalie then when her mother started dragging her to auditions? Well, Natalie was first noticed by members of a crew during a film shoot in downtown Santa Rosa, California, when she was just a toddler. Yeah, Maria's walking her up and down the street <laughs> like, oh, don't mind us, just taking our walk. <laughs> and this prompted the family to move to Los Angeles in order to pursue a film career for Natalie. And speaking of that, her name was changed from Natalia Zakarenko, and nicknamed Natasha, to Natalie Wood by studio executives at RKO Radio Pictures. And this would kind of Americanize her for the masses. Americanize her enough to play Maria in West Side Story. <laughs> mm-hmm. A few weeks before her fifth birthday, Natalie made her film debut in a small role in the film Happy Land. This attracted the notice of director Irving Pichel, who invited her to do a screen test for his next film, Tomorrow is Forever, not a James Bond movie. It sounds so much (laughs) like one. Uh, And this was a couple years after. Tomorrow is forever. Who's singing that song? Who's doing the theme song for Tomorrow is Forever? Tomorrow is Forever. Um, Rita Moreno. Oh, what a choice. I just have West Side Story on the brain. (laughs) You always do. So Natalie won this part, playing a German orphan opposite Orson Welles. 
A memorable story from this set occurred when Natalie was unable to cry on cue for a certain scene because she was, like, six. And her mom literally tore a butterfly to pieces in front of her to make her sob. That is a committed stage mother. That's that's one word for her, yes. Uh, Nat, Natalie's natural talent was kind of apparent to all those around her, even at such a young age. Um, people like Orson Welles later said that Natalie was so good she was terrifying. Yeah, but he couldn't have met many actors in his life, Orson Welles. <laughs> No, he's just Citizen Kane himself. Her best-known film as a child actress was the 1947 Miracle on 34th Street, where she starred as a girl who believes a department store Santa Claus is the real deal. Natalie skyrocketed to fame after this, and the film was massively successful, so much so that it's even successful today, where it can dependably appear on TV every holiday season. Usually the, like... Colorized, yes. colorized version, just like... Because uh, the original is black and white. Just like It's a Wonderful uh, Life. Now they're usually doing black and white for that one. They have a color... There is a colorized version out there. They sure do. It's not great. No. Um, I was never a fan of Miracle on 40, 34th Street, although it wasn't um, like a part of my childhood. Yeah, I liked it as a kid, um, but it wasn't one of my... It, like, it wasn't... It wasn't a home alone, you know? As an adult, I am like... You know, give me give me a, a couple of jokes in here or give me some stakes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Natalie continued in many films after that, taking her schooling on her dozens of film sets. And she transitioned into teen stardom with some television appearances, but really found success as an ingenue at age 16 when she was chosen to star in the 1955 classic Rebel Without a Cause alongside James Dean and Sal Mineo. The role required her to sign a long-term contract with Warner Brothers, but it was the first script she really wanted to do as opposed to what she had previously just been told to do by her parents. It marked a turning point in her personal life and her career, and she was nominated that year for the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress as still a teenager. Did uh, James Dean get nominated for that movie? He did, yeah. So Natalie had managed to do what many child stars aren't able to do even today survive to adulthood <laughs> well, well that's grim survive in their career to adulthood and now the world was her oyster and it was about this point that natalie was introduced to actor robert wagner now robert wagner is probably best known to the baby boomer generation for his role in the 80s mystery series heart to heart or to us millennial types as the eye-patched henchman number two in the Austin Powers film series. Of course, and his uh, deadpan treatment of that insane material is, um, it's one of the joys of those movies. He is good in it, and he also had kind of a talent for comedy that he showed in um, the Pink Panther movie that he didn't get to a lot until he was on Heart to Heart, because that kind of had a more lighthearted tone. Is Heart to Heart about a husband and wife detective team? Pretty much, yeah. I'm out. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so at this point, uh, Robert Wagner is a 26-year-old up-and-comer, and he's still dwarfed in fame by Wood, who is only 18, but she's fresh off, off of huge successes. 
Natalie already knew who he was. In fact, she would later recall that upon seeing him in the studio commissary when she was just 10 years old, Ruh-roh. she had turned to her mother and said of the older actor, I'm going to marry that man someday. Yeah, Natalie, you don't have to tell that story. I know you think it sounds cute, <laughs> but it really just reinforces that he was a man when you were 10. Yeah. Robert Wagner, known as RJ to basically anyone that speaks of him, had dreamed of film fame since being a child himself, but it hadn't struck him as quickly or as intensely as it had Danley. 20th Century Fox, realizing it had a bright young starlet on its hands... In Wagner? <laughs> no, in Natalie. Decided to take a proactive role in her romantic life and set her up with Wagner on their first date. So it's literally a studio-arranged date. That's weird. Did they they did that, that all the time, yeah. They did that with Elizabeth Taylor, um, her marriage to Nikki Hilton, her first marriage when she was 19 was pretty much one of those things. And is the idea... Eddie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds were just like a studio marriage. Is the idea, had tabloid gossip already become like a... a... It was huge. Yeah. And, uh, and it was... And confidential. I mean, the, the movie LA Confidential really goes into it. Um, and... The studios were very heavily, heavily involved in their actors' lives to the points where their contracts would say – would have clauses about how they were able to act and behave. And Yeah. I mean, down to giving little Judy Garland uppers to get up and downers to sleep and lose weight and all that stuff. I mean, they were they were horrible. Oh, I know they were horrible. The interesting thing is that they were – already so aware of the kind of role that the like tabloid mill played in in the star's careers and therefore the, the studio's box office absolutely and they were taking a proactive role in creating the stories basically saying well you know we'll get ahead of the story by making the story and just like a, a studio they're saying oh these two would be cute together let's see if this will happen um because, so, because you couldn't just release a sex tape back then. Uh, that that would be called a stag film, and that would be much harder for people to procure, I would assume. <laughs> Though the setup for the date was fake, uh, the attraction was real, and despite their age difference, they found themselves in a committed relationship that culminated in a wedding a year later after Wagner proposed over a champagne dinner. Real original Bob. Yeah, her ring was in a glass of champagne. One of those deals. Real? Oh, that is, that's the boilerplate. <laughs> Listen, it's no jet blue terminal, but... I'm a hopeless romantic. <laughs> and that, we got free champagne. Yeah, we got the free champagne. So what up, RJ? So everything's great, right? She she married her her childhood crush. That worked out real well for Katie Holmes and Tom Cruise, right? Worked out for someone. I'm not sure it worked out for either of them. <laughs> Natalie had grown up in a bizarre situation where reality and fantasy were constantly blurred, and she was neither prepared for marriage nor knowledgeable about the real trials and compromises that go into marriage. Wait, is this like on Bridgerton where that girl gets married and she's like, you never told me what sex is! I don't think it was that bad, but I just think she had a very fantasy perception of what marriage was. Because she had just been in movies and been around movie stars her whole life. When I was 29, we got married. 
10 years before that, 19-year-old Carrie was a completely different person now. that That's the same age Natalie Wood was when she got married. When I was 19, I didn't know what I wanted or who I was yet. I can't imagine having gotten hitched at that point in my life. Probably wouldn't have... Probably would have been a bad choice. <laughs> probably, yeah. And then you add in the bizarre land of Hollywood and the scrutiny of the spotlight, and it became a recipe for disaster for Wood and Wagner. Natalie's career was still on the rise, and she had been cast alongside up-and-coming actor Warren Beatty in the film Splendor in the Grass in 1960. Dick Tracy himself? <laughs> yeah. Now, if you're not up to date on your mid-century Hollywood tea, and I don't blame you, Warren Beatty has always been known as a womanizer. Yeah, he on is, the set of Dick Tracy, didn't he get with Madonna? Uh, he, he banged around with everyone in Hollywood. Oh, they might have actually... Of all different generations. They might have dated or been married or something. I yeah. think they did date, yeah. Apparently, even at this point, Beatty made his co-star's husbands nervous. It appears that the on-camera chemistry between Natalie and Beatty became a species spicy. Oh. <laughs> Director Elia Kazan wrote in his memoir, it was clear to Natalie that Warren was bound for the top. This perception was an aphrodisiac. Uh-oh. <laughs> One day Wagner arrived to set to visit Natalie, and he found Beatty with his arm around Natalie's waist while waiting for a scene to be set up. Just casual. This is how Warren hangs out. <laughs> Apparently. The men flipped out at each other, but Kazan was like, ooh, this is hot, and it's only making my movie better, so let him fight. Because he lo loved the tension. He's that uh, Bill Hader gif with the popcorn. <laughs> yeah. Oh. He was a messy queen who lived for drama. He did say later that he regretted the pain the perceived affair caused Wagner, and that his sexual humiliation became public. Which is like, damn, Elia. That was brutal. He's calling him a cuck. Yeah. Wagner admitted himself that he even found himself stalking Beatty and showed up to his house one night with a gun, determined to kill Warren Beatty in a jealous rage, but didn't end up going through with it. I saw the light in her house when I passed by her window. Mm-hmm. Real Delilah vibes. So the marriage continued to crumble, especially as Natalie sought mental health treatment and began to discover who she really was and grow up because <laughs> she was still a child when they were married. Yes. Uh, essentially. You essentially. don't mean legally. Yes, essentially. Her career also continued to explode with her garnering a Best Actress Oscar nomination for Splendor, her taking a leading role in the smash hit West Side Story, and then earning another Best Actress nomination the year after for Love with the Proper Stranger. The wild success Natalie was finding was not matched by Wagner's own career, and she herself said in her unpublished memoirs that she that she understood how difficult it must be for someone to deal with that. If only someone could write a screwball, if only a Saturday Night Live alum could write a screwball comedy for me to play second villainous fiddle. <laughs> really get things back on the up and up for old RJ. I guess. There... You know, if um, Austin Powers had come out 20 years earlier, Natalie Wood might still be alive. Damn, Sean. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, nice job waiting, Mike. 
Yeah, her death is Mike Myers's fault. I'm laying this at Myers' feet until you <laughs> convince me otherwise. There are some tawdry rumors, and I don't want to give too much time to them, but they've they have been somewhat confirmed by Natalie's sister Lana Wood, as well as some of Natalie's friends to her biographer. The rumors are that the straw that broke the camel's back of the marriage was Natalie finding Wagner in flagrante with their male housekeeper. Now, did she did she cheat on him with uh, Warren Beatty? She said no, and other people said that she thought that they waited till. I I don't know. I really don't. Also, why is it because she did end up dating him with these celebrity marriages? It always seems like when the lady cheats, it's with like another actor, potentially a more successful <laughs> actor. And when the man cheats, it's always with a maid or like a... Yeah, well, there's actually like a psychological thing. I think I read this during the whole Arnold Schwarzenegger brouhaha or maybe the Ben Affleck, you know, one of the zillions of For these. those who don't recall, Ben Affleck, I think one of his divorces was caused by being caught on board a, a plane with a, a babysitter. Didn't he take their plane? babysitter on I know a that there was something with the vacation? nanny. Um, and then Arnold Schwarzenegger had a love child with the maid. I I read something at at the time that was basically like men will cheat with whoever is convenient. Oh, it's like um, Dave Chappelle has a joke about Bill Clinton where it's like he looks into the out into the hall and just goes. Mm, mm, well, that's you. A, that's another example, like just like a, a random intern. Um, you know, whereas maybe women are falling in love with their co-stars and kind of falling for this fantasy that they're creating with these other people. And the men are like, well, you're around. Let's do this thing. But this also could have meant that RJ was closeted in a time where he wasn't allowed to be gay at all. So I don't know. Well, it was a female housekeeper, right? No, it was male. Oh! I said, I said male, which... Not that there's anything wrong with that. But it is, but it is, it is spicier. It's spicier, for sure. It's more forbidden. Especially in the, what, 70s? Oh, this is 1963. No, sir! Mm-hmm. Rock Hudson is, is the, the heartthrob of the tabloids. Right, and another point that people made... He was gay, by the way. Well, that's the thing. Another point that people made was that Robert Wagner shared an agent with Rock Hudson and Tab Hunter, two famously closeted, like, beefcake boys. Oh, so this was, like, the the shepherd of the gay beefcakes? <laughs> that was another thing given as proof that he maybe was at least bisexual. All know. you friends of Dorothy, come over here, you see? <laughs> so who knows if any of this is true, but either way, the couple shocked the country with their divorce in 1963. In the decade or so after, they married other people, they had children with other people, and they both continued acting. Wagner finally scored some promising roles and broke into television as a small-screen version of Cary Grant in the show It Takes a Thief. He was always kind of pitched as, as like, a, a B-grade Cary Grant. Low-rent Cary Grant. I mean, I so, could see it, right? So, I mean, television was kind of the perfect place for him. And let's be honest, he's no Cary Grant. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. He's the he's television's Cary Grant. Natalie, as I said before, did end up dating Warren Beatty, as well as Michael Caine, and some other famous Hollywood folks. Michael Caine? Mm-hmm. Really? Species Spice. Natalie Wood? Yeah. yeah, it seems like an interesting pair. Was he hot at one point? Uh, he was hot for like a, like a foppish British man. Because she was like... 
beautiful. She was gorgeous. I can't picture Michael Caine. Well, he seems like a funny guy. Albie? What's that Alfie. movie called? <laughs> Alfie? <laughs> you can't use that as a point against him when you don't even get the name right. I've never seen Al- <laughs> Al- Alfie. Albie? I've never seen either one. <laughs> uh, Natalie attempted suicide with sleeping pills in 1966, which might have been among several um, attempts, and she did survive. Herself and Wagner eventually divorced their spouses, and at this point, with both of them being single, Wagner came calling back to Natalie. Oh, this always goes well. <laughs> uh, Natalie's sister Lana told Vanity Fair... They fell as hard, if not harder, than they had the first time. They were thrilled and confused. Tale as old as time. (laughs) Nothing bad will come of this. In 1972, Wood accompanied Wagner to London aboard the Queen Elizabeth II to promote... The Queen? They were, what, riding on her shoulders? (laughs) No, it's like a huge boat, (laughs) you freaking idiot. Oh, that makes more sense. (laughs) They were promoting a new television film he'd made. Uh, The morning after the couple left the New York Harbor for England, a freak storm with 70-foot swells rose up and and engulfed the ocean liner for four days. So it sounds like really terrifying, especially for someone who's afraid of drowning. 70-foot swells? Mm Mm-hmm. When the couple emerged from their cabin unharmed on the other side of the Atlantic, they decided to remarry. Just like that? Yeah, perhaps they considered well, it a alive. sign. <laughs> Either way, it was a sign, but not in the way they thought. I haven't lost my life. I might as well waste the rest <laughs> of it with you. Wow. That's beautiful, Sean. <laughs> Marriage is a beautiful thing. <laughs> Prophetically, Natalie wrote in her unpublished memoir, quote, In the movies, the happy ending is still popular. The boy and girl walking hand in hand into the sunset. Presumably, they are heading for the altar, but is that the end or the beginning of their problems? So, When did she say that? <laughs> um, it, I think it was kind of soon before her death. I think she was writing this thing on and off. So Natalie and RJ got remarried in 1972, interestingly, aboard a yacht off the California coast. He... Really doesn't care that she's afraid of dark water, huh? (laughs) It's like everything he likes doing is aboard a yacht. Yeah. um, Now, I could really relate to Natalie's fear of being in the water. Uh, As I've mentioned before, of course, I have a terrible fear of flying. But intertwined with my fear is my love of travel. I love visiting other countries when I can. And Natalie faced a similar dichotomy with her passion for being on the water. So it seemed like she liked boating, but hated the idea of being in the water, especially deep water. I don't so, know. So she's bringing her swimsuit, but it's just for the tan. She, yeah, she she didn't know how to swim. So she would never go in the water. Hey, I've got a first step for being less afraid of the water. Learn how to swim. Learn how to swim. <laughs> yeah, well, that'll become an issue later. She had years of trauma relating to swimming and water, starting with her mother's repeating of the prophecy and continuing at the hands of irresponsible directors in a series of accidents in water on film sets that only cemented her fears. I mean, it's like, oh, she almost drowned here and she almost drowned here and they made this 11-year-old do this and she almost drowned. It was horrible. Oh. So she had a lot of trauma related to drowning. Who was directing her? John Landis? (sighs) 
might as well. <laughs> he killed those two small Korean children on that set that time. <sighs> yep. And actor... Vic Morrow. Vic Morrow. Beheaded. Jesus. That's a story for another... That's a mini-sode, probably. That sure is, yeah. Anyway, continue. It's considered bad luck to change the name of a boat, but Wagner and Wood did just that in 1975 when they purchased their own boat and changed its name from Challenger to Splendor, which Natalie insisted wasn't a reference to the film she'd done with Beatty. But, like, that's kind of weird, right? It's definitely not. Like, he almost killed Warren Beatty, but, like, let's name this boat Splendor. It's weird. It's a weird choice, and also, like, didn't, RJ have a have a vote in the naming? No, he's he said that it was from a poem, but it's like pick any other poem. It's so weird. It's such a weird choice. Awkward choice. It's as if your um wedding vows were just a series of quotes from movies you'd seen with other people. <laughs> exactly. Well, no. Uh-oh, Carrie. <laughs> let me re- let me look at those vows again. <laughs> You had me at hello. Oh, no. (laughs) Perhaps adding to the success of their second marriage, Wagner's career was now at its climax while Woods was floundering. While he was finding fame as the suave lead of the hit TV show Heart to Heart, Natalie had entered the nightmare time of all actresses' lives, middle age, when parts and opportunities begin to dry up. Oh, that's that's why I don't know what she was doing in 1980, Mm -hmm. because you can't work that late as an actor in the mid-century. Yay. I mean, not really. It seems like this shift was really well-suited to Wagner's ego. Wood kind of dipped her toe into television as well, including in an adaptation of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, co-starring Wagner. But by the time of her death in the early 80s, she had suffered a few big screen flops and was giving it another shot with a film called Brainstorm, a science fiction flick co-starring a new up-and-comer, hmm, that reminds me of Warren Beatty, named Christopher Walken. Hey, I finally come in <laughs> to the story. <laughs> Walken had won an Oscar just two years earlier for The Deer Hunter, and according to Splendor skipper Dennis Davern, 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 I'm not sure, uh, Natalie had become infatuated with Christopher Walken and even had become openly flirting with him. Okay. Now, I refuse to believe he was ever hot. Some people say he was. I think he, young Christopher Walken looks like a, a homely Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> I think even in those young, like we watched, um, we watched True Romance not too long ago. And even in, in like that and in Pulp. Oh, but that's like. Oh, that's too late. That's a while later. We want like Deer Hunter Christopher Walken. Yeah, but I, I still don't get it, but I don't know. He looks people, like a skeleton. People think Benedict Cumberbatch is hot, so I don't know. Walken looks like a skeleton that someone <laughs> painted some flesh onto to make him look slightly less evil. <laughs> Walken was married since 1969, and his wife was on set for the whole brainstorm shoot. So people tend to think that they didn't actually have an affair, but who knows? My wife, very hard of hearing. (laughs) Deverne told Vanity Fair, when they were in North Carolina together, rumors were going around about Chris Walken and Natalie. So RJ went down there. He had a few days off from heart to heart, but he wasn't about to make a fool of himself over this. 
No, he already did that once with Warren Beatty. <laughs> yeah, I guess he, he had learned from his about-to-shoot Warren Beatty days. Lana Wood agreed with Deverne's assessment, writing that, I don't know if Natalie's love affair with Chris was imaginary or real, though my strong suspicion is that it was all in her mind and that perhaps she was only wishing it to be so. And he's still married to his wife, and I mean, even if her, her even her sister is saying it, so. Baby, I never would have <laughs> done it. <laughs> we'll cover the fateful Thanksgiving weekend voyage after the break. <gasps> Break time! Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Do you have what it takes to go into the mind of a serial killer or solve a horrific case? <laughs> Hi, everybody. When you join Hunt a Killer, you receive a box full of cryptic clues mailed to you each month to test your detective skills and challenge even the most brilliant minds in a game designed to give you a journey into the mind of a killer so you can escape with the answers you need. And I Hope you do escape. Input our code SCARYSQUAD20 for 20% off when you sign up for your first subscription box at huntakiller.com and find out if you have the guts to hunt a killer. The guts! That's the code SCARYSQUAD20, S-C-A-R-Y-S-Q-U-A-D-2-0 for 20% off at huntakiller.com, www.huntakiller.com. Hunt a killer. Join the hunt today. Welcome back. When last we left you, we had given you, I think, a pretty good overview of the lives and um, marital ups and downs mm -hmm. of Natalie Wood and Robert Wagner. Mm -hmm. Is his middle name start with a J? Why are we going He's RJ? He's a junior. Oh, shut up. I know. It, I, it's always so weird to me, like old men being called RJ, but whatever. I don't like, I don't like anything about it. I don't, I'm not a big fan of a junior anyway. You know, we're not going to have a Sean Jr. running around. No. Uh, no, people deserve their own names. Second, I, you're right. I don't like an adult man going by junior. It's weird. Rather go by Indiana. We named a dog, Indiana. <laughs> junior. It's a great great christopher uh it's a great sean connery impression thank you mm -hmm. lastly i don't this is the thing i hate the most turning the junior into an initial doesn't work you're not rj yeah Ugh. trust me i agree but right. everyone everyone calls him rj all right i'm rolling my eyes what what did robert get up to next well, there was already weird vibes with the suspicion that Natalie was crushing on Christopher Walken. Hey, baby. 
and that maybe they were having an affair. It's in this heated atmosphere that Wood invited Walken on a weekend trip aboard the Splendor for Thanksgiving 1981 during a break from filming. Oh, and this is with Bobby. Yes. The weather that weekend was terrible. Also, <laughs> if you're sleeping with a coworker, you probably don't invite them to Thanksgiving unless you're like very stupid, right? Well, it wasn't it was Thanksgiving weekend. So I don't I don't think Christopher Walken went to Thanksgiving with Natalie because I know that she was with her sister for that. But I mean any sorry, any holiday weekend trip oh, with, yeah, with your spouse. I've... Like what a weird what a weird choice this would be if they were having sex. Mm-hmm. Boat captain Dennis Deverne pleaded with Wood not to take the trip, but she wouldn't hear of it, only telling him that Christopher Walken was coming. Why did he plead with her? Uh, because I... the weather was terrible. Okay. He, he basically said, like, only stupid people would be going. Like, it was cold, it was crappy, you know? And this is rich people with their, like, toy vehicles? Oh, yeah, this is a yacht off of Catalina Island. No, but I mean, this is what they do. This is like JFK Jr. Oh, yeah. like It's it's too foggy. Don't go out there. Oh, I can make it out to Mother's Day. He Vegas. didn't sound like that. <laughs> he, didn't come out, he didn't come out of the womb being like, oh, I'll raise taxes. So chip off the old block. <laughs> so I don't know what her situation was. Maybe she wanted to impress him or wanted time with him away from his wife. Maybe they were just friends. It's never really been clear why Georgianne Walken didn't make the trip. That's Chris's wife? Yeah, because it was a holiday weekend and she was there at set. So, like, why wasn't she on the boat? Yeah, you'd think, well, these two are having an affair. Their spouses could, like, talk. Yeah, you know, <laughs> just cuck around together. <laughs> you guys you guys do whatever cucks do. We're going to be <laughs> below deck with the, where the party is. We do know that Natalie also invited Mart which mart mart i, I assume Sorry, you short misread, for martin you misread bart i assume nope mark crowley a producer on heart to heart and she also invited peggy griffin her secretary but both declined due to their workloads so you've just got the three of them out on the boat it's just the three w's walken wagner and wood and they were stuck on a boat all weekend with their captain of six years dennis Deverne. The Splendor left Marina Del Rey around noon on Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, and immediately Deverne noticed the attention Wood was giving to Walken. The captain did? Yeah. This is the only outside perspective we have, really. Um, Christopher and Natalie are sitting in the salon together and giggling, and I'm looking at RJ and thinking, he doesn't look too happy. RJ was getting annoyed, and plus we're drinking. I was seeing RJ getting mad. I love... I love the captain's use of we're drinking there, meaning... Oh, he was drinking too, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Tons of alcohol have been packed for the voyage, as I guess they did every time, and everyone was drinking heavily. Around 5 p.m., the trio went to dinner in town while Deverne stayed on the boat. This captain has a great job. Oh, for, yeah, until until later. <laughs> run the, But you run the movie star's boat, you go out, you're told and encouraged to drink on the job. Mm -hmm. Uh, this guy's living the life. Yeah. And he probably only works. How often do rich people go out on their stupid yachts? Like 10 days a year? Oh, I don't know. Uh, they shopped for a while in the town. They had a meal at a harbor front restaurant named El Galeon. And they came back to the Splendor as it was getting dark. So 
I'm going to need you and the audience to stick with me because here's where the stories begin to diverge, including sometimes with the people themselves. Sometimes they're telling more than one story. I see, yes. Vanity Fair put it so perfectly in their article, Natalie Wood's Fatal Voyage. So I'm just going to quote what they said because it's just too good. Doubts about the accident theory have, in fact, never died down, especially in the tabloid press. The principal reason for that is the only other person on the boat that night, Dennis Deverne, who claims that he was, he's always believed that something more sinister occurred. Deverne says that the account he gave to police investigators in the days after Wood's death was incomplete, sanitized, and in some places, downright false. Over the years, he has offered parts of his story for money to various tabloids and has occasionally appeared on television, most notoriously in February 1992 on Geraldo Rivera's Now It Can Be Told. Okay, well, this this captain loses some points. Uh, well, he was, uh, I don't know. It's not his fault that Geraldo Rivera was big then. But yes, he does lose points for selling a story. He was On this show, he was filmed without his knowledge, discussing an argument aboard Splendor and implying that he knew how Wood got into the water. In the early 1990s, he visited New York publishers in an unsuccessful attempt to interest them in a book on the subject. Despite the fact that Deverne is not the most savory witness, he tells a compelling story, one that has been fairly consistent in its various public incarnations even as it has grown with damning details. I don't care for does, does this joker say why he claims he lied to police? He does, yeah. We'll get into that. As you may have heard a few years ago, Deverne did manage to write his book called Goodbye Natalie, Goodbye Splendor. <laughs> <laughs> you just choked on your drink. First draft, best draft, huh? Yeah, seriously. Uh, he released the book in 2006. So, okay. Deverne has profited off of his story, which changed from the time of the immediate aftermath of the death, but he's stuck to this version to the point of getting multiple polygraph tests from the L.A. Police Department. Of course, dubious, but still. Not admissible in court. Mm-hmm. And Carrie, it's so interesting that the version of the story he is stuck to is the one that's made him money. Well, we'll get into his explanation. Now, his story begins on Friday night. And he recounted this for the podcast, Fatal Voyage. Apparently, fights were beginning and just... this guy will go on podcasts? Well, this podcast, it was pretty recent. And um, it was all about the the new investigation and going back over this case. So I can see why he did it. I mean, Lana Wood did it as well. But... Hey, well, we can throw some stickers his way, see if he'll come on. If you have a story to tell, I, there's nothing wrong with getting paid. I don't know if he was paid process. for the podcast. I'm just saying it makes it all makes it less... Savory, you know. yeah. No, not savory. It makes him less trustworthy to me if he's the only guy who we're going on here. Yeah. Well, this but more is, on that later. <laughs> this is what he said about Friday night. Apparently, fights were beginning and just getting worse with all the drinking the group was doing. The fighting started to escalate more, and eventually, Natalie couldn't take it any longer. And she asked Deverne to get her off the boat. Uh, we're in the middle of dark water, <laughs> Natalie, which you're famously not a fan well, of. Well, they had a dinghy, which is like a, I think it was a 13-foot kind of infl- inflatable raft that had an engine. 
Deverne said he was acting so crazy. It was just so totally uncalled for. I mean, she was petrified. I felt so sorry for her. So did this fight break out over the, supposedly over the tension between her and Walken? I think that was part of it. Concerned that the fighting was getting out of hand, Deverne knocked on Walken's stateroom door and asked him to intervene. Oh, that's going to help. This guy, Deverne. Well, Walken refused, saying, never get involved in an argument between a man and a wife. I've already taken care of it with one of them, and the other one, he's a cuck. (laughs) So yeah, Chris was being very helpful. So Deverne got Natalie in the yacht's dinghy to bring her to shore. He brought her to a hotel, got two rooms, and stayed there that evening. And that's the end of the story. She didn't come back to the boat, and Natalie Wood is alive and well today. Deverne stated that he stayed with Natalie uh, that night because she was hysterical and they were friends, but they practically talked all night and nothing romantic or sexual happened. Dennis said that she knew I wasn't going to make any kind of play for her. She was comfortable with me. Sometimes he would act as a sort of like bodyguard when they were alone together when he would bring her to shore. So... I mean, if he had slept with Natalie Wood, he would be telling us. Yes. uh, Yeah, I buy all all of this is fine. Natalie did apparently tell Dennis that she was thinking of leaving Robert Wagner for a second time. Well, you you loved it so much the first time. Why wouldn't you do it again? (laughs) The next morning, Saturday, November 28th, Natalie wanted to get a seaplane and get her ass out of there. But she just wasn't able to do it. I don't know if it was the weather. It's a holiday weekend. Where were they? Like how far from home? Catalina Island is an island off of California. but It's it's right off of San Diego. Yeah. Deverne, trying to smooth tensions, said that they could go back to the boat and make a nice breakfast and try to put the previous night behind them. So they did. They eventually moved to the other end of the island, where there was really only, like, one restaurant to visit versus the more touristy area, and it's more secluded and remote. Wood and Walken decided to head ashore for happy hour while Wagner was fishing, and RJ told them himself and Dennis would meet them later. The water taxi picked the movie stars up, and the night was underway. Yeah, you guys go ahead. I have to give Dennis here a talking to about what (laughs) bodyguard duty entails. Deverne and Wagner joined the pair a while later at Doug's Harbor Reef restaurant, and they were already pretty tipsy after spending a long while at the bar. This group could drink. This ship captain, his job is drinking with movie stars. I can't get over it. Not only that. um, Where can I go to ship captain school? They love drinking so much that when Natalie Wood said that she thought they had better wine on the boat than what was in the menu, Deverne and Walken returned to the yacht to get a couple of bottles. And just brought it to the restaurant? Mm-hmm. Oh, this is poor form, guys. This is just rude. <laughs> While they were there, they smoked a joint together and then returned to the restaurant. And Deverne said, like, I was feeling as high as Chris and Natalie already were from all the drinking. So it seems like Robert Wagner was still not drunk. Or maybe he was getting there. What about smoking a joint seems like a sober, like a a strictly sober activity to you? No one does that when they're drunk. No, no, no. Dennis Deverne and Christopher Walken went back. Oh. And smoked and got 
wine and came back. So RJ and Natalie were still at the restaurant. Dennis, I gotta tell you. <laughs> I got some good weed. This is some good shit. <laughs> you think he was smoking Dennis's weed? <laughs> he wasn't bringing his movie star weed? I don't think movie star. I mean, movie stars have weed, but I don't think they they know where to get it. So maybe maybe Dennis is the guy. Movie stars mm. have other people get get their weed for. That's them. fair. According to the waitress, Natalie wasn't in the best of moods that night. At one point, Christopher Walken threw a glass on the floor as a toast, kind of like in Thor. <laughs> this drink, I like it. <laughs> Smash. Oh, hold on. This drink. I like it. <laughs> and Natalie Another. followed suit. She threw her glass on the floor. Sure, that's that's fun. I imagine it was like a much smaller little chink. <laughs> this annoyed RJ, who suddenly demanded to go back to the boat. Restaurant manager Don Whiting said to police that he felt Wagner was irritated with his wife. Dif- Did this cause like an <clears throat> like a hubbub at the restaurant? Was it like, ugh? I mean, they were like, like what the fuck? Like, why are you... Breaking our stuff. Okay, so they break a little glass. All right, so it's like it's like going out with your college buddies they're, or something. They're You're drunk. Being dumb. Like, yeah, they're being belligerent and drunk. Diverne, sloppy steaks. Exactly, super sloppy steaks. It's an SSS, a sloppy steak situation. Deverne brought the group back on the dinghy, and they settled back in with even more wine. Now. Deverne's police interview from shortly after Wood's death tells the next part of the story like this. This is for Saturday night. He recalled that RJ and Natalie got into a discussion about her being gone and how RJ missed her. During the discussion, Chris Walken entered into it, supporting Natalie's views. He felt RJ was getting upset over this, and Chris Walken got up and went outside around this time. Natalie, I'm gonna go smoke another joint. <laughs> you guys, you guys are too intense. You're harsh in my mellow. <laughs> Natalie went to the master stateroom to go to bed. Chris Walken came back into the main salon, and he was going to bed. Here, this was normal procedure for Natalie. In the evening, she would just leave, prepare herself for bed, and usually return after ten or fifteen minutes to say good night. After some time passed, and she hadn't come back wait chris left too yeah but they weren't together like he was outside and she went to her stateroom okay and then he went to bed and then rj went to see where she was because she hadn't come back to say goodnight. here is wagner's version of what transpired that night after the group returned from doug's harbor reef as recalled in his 1986 biography heart to heart with robert wagner oh no <laughs> bob Junior. (laughs) We reached the boat in a happy frame of mind after spending a few hours at the restaurant eating and drinking. That's, he means drunk and stoned. (laughs) During dinner, I got into a political debate with Walken and we continued it aboard the yacht. There was no fight, no anger, just a lot of words thrown around like you hear in most political discussions, such as, you don't know what you're talking about. Natalie sat there, not saying much of anything and looking bored. She left us after about a half an hour, and we sat there talking for almost another hour. Then I went to kiss her goodnight and found her missing. You know women, clueless <laughs> about politics. <laughs> yeah, so this differs from even Davern, uh, Davern's like original police story and the testimony of those at the restaurant who felt that everything wasn't as happy-go-lucky as Wagner stated. 
However, DeVern's story nowadays is also a bit different from his original police interview. Here's what he told Vanity Fair in 2000, and notice how it's different than his original and also Wagner's. But also that it's 19 years (sighs) after this happened. Sorry, continue. So we're sitting there, and Chris and Natalie are giggling and carrying on, the same as before, totally forgetting that me and RJ are there. I'm saying to myself, oh my god, this is going to be too much right now. All of a sudden, RJ grabbed a bottle of wine and smashes it right on the table in front of them. Glasgow's flying all over. Jesus Christ, RJ says to Christopher, what are you trying to do, fuck my wife? Christopher got up in two or three seconds and headed right out the door. Now Natalie says, I'm not standing this for a minute longer. She goes down to her stateroom and slams her door. Christopher goes right down to his stateroom. Now I'm left alone with RJ. I say, RJ, let's just calm down. We stayed up there for a little while. Then RJ says, I'm going to go down there and see Natalie. Uh, So at this point, from Deverne's location on the bridge, he could hear the couple fighting in the stateroom below. Quote, I'd never in a million years seen them fight like that before. I just couldn't believe it. You know, stuff getting thrown around. So Deverne checked on them quickly, but Wagner answered the door, looking upset, and kind of shooed him away. Like, we're fine, it's fine. It's a little... broken glass in his hair. (laughs) He couldn't really see anything else. It's a little unclear exactly what happened at this point, and I'll go into that in a bit. But eventually, Wagner may have returned to the bridge around 11.30 p.m., where the two men drank a bottle of wine together. Him and the captain. Yes. Around 1.30 a.m. on Sunday morning, November 29th, Wagner told Deverne he was going to check on Natalie. After a few minutes, he returned and told Dennis, she's gone. Dennis was like, uh, where? And Wagner didn't know. So Deverne looked for her himself. She's not in her stateroom, not in walk-in stateroom, not in any of the bathrooms. But then he notices that the dinghy was gone. Now this baffled him because he thought... And, of course, the evening before was proof that if Natalie wanted to go back to the shore, she would have asked him to bring her, not go alone in the dinghy. In complete darkness. Right. (laughs) Like, over dark water, which she was terrified of. And I don't know if she even knew how to drive a boat or, you know, direct a dinghy. So. It's not hard. Sure, but. With an outboard motor, you know. Deverne went to put on the Splendor's floodlights to look for Natalie in the water, but Wagner told him not to. Then he went to fire up the boat's engines to cruise the water looking for wood, but Wagner again told him no, allegedly saying, Don't do that. Let's think about this. We don't want to do anything, Dennis, because we don't want to alert all these people. Um, okay, so if Dennis's story is true, those are the words of a murderer. There's no (laughs) doubt about it. Let's not look for my wife. We don't want other people to know that she's missing yet. I mean, at all. Yeah. Because it's nothing. Now, this is the, ne- the next part is, is true, and it's weird. Uh, eventually, the pair decided to call Don Whiting the restaurant manager. So, not the Coast Guard. The restaurant manager? Yeah, the manager of the restaurant they had guy? dinner at. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just Doug's Harbor Reef restaurant manager. Hey, remember us? We smashed some glasses on your floor earlier. <laughs> mind mind helping us with something? Are you the sloppy steak guys? <laughs> he thankfully told the acting harbor master, 
who went aboard the Splendor soon after to look for Natalie. The Harvestmaster felt everyone was pretty drunk, but everyone seemed concerned for Natalie's well-being. There was no luck. They looked around. Couldn't find her. The Coast Guard was finally called and arrived around 5 a.m., and they sent a diver to search under the boat, but found nothing. They started combing all around toward the shore, figuring that if she was in the inflatable dinghy, she had been blown toward the shoreline, and they eventually reached an area called Blue Caverns Point. The dinghy was eventually discovered near a crevasse. The engine was down, but the key was not turned, and the boat was not running, so it didn't appear to have been on. But someone did put the engine down. Or it had been left down. I mean, they had used it that night. But somebody did jettison it from the boat. Could be, or they just forgot. What do you mean, forgot? Like, they didn't, they never, they never put it back up. But it was, like, out. It was down, it was, like, in the water, you know, instead of, like... Oh, but it hadn't departed from, it was still attached to the boat? No. That's what I'm saying. But it could have drifted, is the point. It hadn't been, it didn't look like it had been turned on, the engines were off. Right, Noah, yeah, I I understand that, but, but somebody had to... It had to be untied from the boat yeah. somehow. Someone had but to it put didn't, it in the water. It, yeah, but the engine didn't have to necessarily be running for it to end up in this crevasse. Of course. Yeah, I understand that. Natalie Wood was not on the boat. No one was. It was empty. This really changed the tone of the search. Uh, the res- rescues had figured she would be found alive on the dinghy. Just, you know, she was lost. She didn't have a cell phone or anything. Um, so it was fully like, okay, she left drunk and mad at her husband and she's just stuck somewhere yeah but finding an empty boat meant that natalie could be in real peril the sheriff's helicopter arrived overhead and spotted something in the ocean about 20 yards away they directed the patrol boat toward the object which is like a red spot contrasted against the dark water and there they found tragically the body of natalie wood floating with the current red spot red dress she was wearing jacket Mm. natalie was pulled out and though attempts were made it was clear that she was deceased natalie had been wearing a red down jacket that was soaked through along with long flannel nightgown and socks strangely no shoes which you'd think she'd want to have if she was going to shore and i don't think that they realized this here but later um she wasn't wearing underwear which is also something you would wear if you are encountering anyone else, I feel like. Right. Or planning to. Robert Wagner was notified and asked to identify her, which is normal procedure, but he instead directed Dennis DeVern to do the identifying. That's weird. (sighs) It is, it could be a combination of like, it's too horrible, I can't look, and also I'm a movie star, other people do things for me. Yeah, I mean, the latter would be TV crazy. TV star, movie star is a little bit, uh, yeah. you know, that's not what RJ is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe he was just consumed by grief. But I imagine you'd want to see your loved one one last time after, like, a really shocking turn of events when this isn't expected. Um, it hits me as strange, but people act strange in grief. It's definitely, it's not standard. Yeah. Wagner didn't submit to an initial police interview, which is also standard procedure, but he retreated to his home and lawyered up. Less than 48 hours after Wood's body was discovered, the initial autopsy results were in. 
To me, this seems super quick for an autopsy, but there was a lot of attention on this death. Right. Which L.A. County Coroner Thomas Noguchi, a.k.a. the coroner to the stars, <laughs> was used to. Yes, that is something that he's been called. The coroner to the stars. Noguchi performed some of the biggest autopsies of the 60s and 70s, starting with Marilyn Monroe. Oh, another shady death. Another mini episode. <laughs> oh, I, that might be a full one. And he also performed the autopsies of Robert F. Kennedy, Sharon Tate, Janis Joplin, John Belushi, and, of course, Natalie Wood. Noguchi, I'm not a fan. Don't like her work? Him. Don't like his work? Well, apparently, shortly after the RFK shooting, Noguchi had resigned under pressure as chief medical examiner after Deputy Los Angeles County Counsel Martin Weeks testified he had seen a smiling Noguchi dancing in his office and that Noguchi had announced to associates, I'm going to be famous. I hope he dies. Oh, red flag. Red flag (laughs) for the medical examiner. Even better, an Asian-American employee in the coroner's office stated she had heard Noguchi saying he hated Jews and using a racial epithet to describe African-Americans. Why did you specify that person was Asian? Because Noguchi was also Asian? Yes, because um, a coalition formed accusing the medical examiner's office of forcing Noguchi out due to racial discrimination. So it seems pertinent considering a a fellow Asian-American was saying he was being racist. Right. And he was eventually reinstated. Following Wood and fellow Hollywood star William Holden's deaths in 1981, it was alleged that Noguchi's attention to celebrity deaths was causing problems in the more mundane aspects of the coroner's office, and he was demoted from coroner coroner to physician specialist in 1982. Just like a weird note, um, William Holden... And Natalie Wood both died in November 1981. They were both movie actors. And their both their partners were Robert Wagner and Stephanie Powers, who played the couple in Heart to Heart. Isn't oh, that weird. weird? It's just like a weird thing. I would love, I'm sure someone has raised this, but if there was any evidence... Collusion. If there's any evidence for it at all, I'm sure it would be a major story yeah um but but it'd be interesting if they they came up with the idea on their detective show to <laughs> you know murder their spouses for each other like a throw mama from the train situation classic throw mama from the train so there's a lot of weirdness with naguchi and there have been a lot of questions surrounding his autopsy of natalie wood he ruled that she had died of drowning and that the bruises found on her arms and lower legs, as well as an abrasion on her left cheek, was caused by her falling into the water. At the press conference announcing the results, he tried to downplay her inebriation at the time of her death. She had like a 0.14% alcohol level in her blood and stated that her down jacket probably became waterlogged after she slipped off the yacht, pulling her down. And perhaps um, she was not able to take it off or hadn't thought of it It because she was drunk. Oh, it was a down jacket? Yeah. What time of year was this? It was November. It was Thanksgiving weekend. I mean, it's off the... You're on the water, so it's going to be colder, even if it is California. She would have clung to the dinghy as it drifted away from the harbor and eventually, overcome by exhaustion and hypothermia from extremely cold November waters, drowned. Noguchi later listed a number of questions that he still had about the night of Wood's death in his book, Coroner. These included, 
Wasn't it strange that the two men on the yacht didn't even know she had left the boat? Hadn't she spoken to them? Why had she slipped out to the stern of the yacht in the middle of the night, climbed down a ladder, and untied the dinghy? What was she doing? Where was she going? And why? When she first fell off of the swimming step into the water, why didn't she simply swim, swim a few strokes and reboard the yacht by way of the step? It must have been only a few feet away from her. Even with the heavy jacket, she could have accomplished this effort easily. Apparently, Noguchi isn't the super-curious type because he answered none of those questions in his book or in his previous autopsy. He just raised the questions. Yes. So, well, it's almost like if we had a medical examiner who could ask these. <laughs> Someone should examine this. A former intern of Noguchi at the time of Wood's death stated that he saw bruises that were substantial and fitting for someone who gets thrown out of a boat, and claims that he made those observations to Noguchi, who reacted strangely. In the intern's words, it was a reaction as if he was involved in some sort of cover-up. Well, it might have been a reaction as if that intern was stupid, because wouldn't those <laughs> wouldn't those bruises be the same if you or fell off like the yacht? Or just like typical boss, like, I know right and you know wrong. Right, but why would the bruising be different if you'd been thrown as opposed to fallen off of a similar height? I assume it's... Well, I mean, it could be some sort of altercation, previous... Only we'll if get into like the bruises. finger-shaped bruises. <laughs> well, we'll get into the bruises. A week after Natalie's death, L.A. homicide detective Dwayne Raysher was finally able to visit Wagner at his home for an interview. He was satisfied, though there were inconsistencies in the testimony of the three principal witnesses. Wagner posited a theory that the dinghy was banging against the boat, and, annoyed by the sound, Wood had gone to retire it, slipped on the cold deck, and fallen in, pulling the dinghy away from the splendor. Raysher seemed to agree, though he told Vanity Fair, I can't tell you exactly how she got in the water. So that seems problematic, as the, um detective on her case <laughs> yeah you would think you would want to like go detect some things <laughs> you're a detective detect it was stated that we talked to wagner and walken and there was no indication that there was any argument but this is odd considering walken's version of events which does talk about an argument and as just an interesting note, um, Christopher Walken has never spoken about what happened the night of Natalie Wood's death to anyone but police. Oh, that's interesting. So we don't even know what his police interview said? We, we do. And here it is. They were in the salon talking. Walken stated they had all been drinking and they had one of those conversations going where, and he used this reference, you put all your cards on the table. Oh, so he was telling Robert that he had been banging Natalie? Oh no. RJ was making statements and complaining that she was away from home too much. She was away from the kids. It was hurting their home life. Uh, I'm assuming that he's just not happy that she's trying to be a movie star again and might outshine him. I'm the star in this family. Have Ugh. you seen Heart to Heart? Mr. Walken stated he also got involved with discussion supporting the victim's views. She was an actress. She was an important person. This was her life. He suddenly realized he was violating his own view about getting involved in an argument between a man and a wife. He stepped outside for some air, and when he returned, everyone was apologizing, particularly Robert Wagner, and everything seemed fine. Okay. 
So unlike Wagner's initial telling of it, both Walken and Deverne agreed that there was an argument between Wood and Wagner that night, but Walken said that it kind of ended happy or whatever. Right. Another clue would soon come in. Um, well, it's a clue unless you're a detective or a coroner that doesn't feel the need to answer questions. John Payne <laughs> and his girlfriend, Marilyn Wayne, contacted police to say they had been sleeping aboard a boat that had been moored near the Splendor the night of Wood's death. Now, Payne and Wayne is a better detective show name than Heart to Heart. <laughs> Around midnight, Payne heard a woman yelling, help me, someone please help me. He felt the voice was coming from near the stern of the Splendor from someone in a dinghy. He awakened his girlfriend, who also heard the yells. The couple claimed that they hadn't responded because a loud, drunken party was raging on another nearby yacht, and they had just thought that someone was playing around. Yeah, you know, the old help me, please help me, coming from a dinghy attached to the side of a different boat from where the party's happening. That classic party sound. Classic. Apparently, they also heard a man's very drunken voice respond mockingly, Okay, honey, we'll get you. And because of this, they believed the voice belonged to someone at the party, since it was said so jokingly. Uh, they really should have called someone about this, but maybe they were drunk too. Maybe they were banging. Who knows? Maybe they really did hear some tomfoolery at the party that was happening separate to mm -hmm. an unrelated drowning. People jumping in the water help and stuff. Help me, help me. <laughs> yeah, we'll help you, honey. <laughs> Meanwhile, Natalie Wood is actually drowning yes. 20 feet in the other direction. Exactly. Despite these developments and a broken wine bottle in the salon still bugging Rasher at the back of his mind, he pronounced the case as closed and Natalie's death as accidental less than two weeks later. So there was a broken wine bottle, which only appears in the uh, Shady Boat Captain's version of events? <laughs> His second version, um, after he... I don't know. Not the police version. Um, so that's interesting. It's very interesting. The yells and the mocking reply the couple heard harken back to what I had mentioned before about some confusing moments before Deverne found that Wood was missing. Lana Wood revealed that Deverne called her over 10 years after Natalie's death, sounding tormented and upset. I think this is around the time he did the Geraldo story. He wanted to finally reveal to her what had happened that night. Deverne told Lana that yes, there was a huge argument and a fight broke out with RJ breaking a wine bottle on the salon table and making his famous pronouncement to walk in. Are you fucking my wife or whatever? This is right before he went on Geraldo? I think so. So almost That's around as, the same time. Almost as if he was like, what if somebody asks if I've ever told this story before? Uh, I don't know. Maybe he wanted to tell her before he was going on a TV show. I don't trust this boat captain. Okay. Wood and Walken left. Wood and Wagner fought. And eventually Deverne finds Wagner up on the deck. Where's Natalie? She's gone. Here, Dennis questions him, and Wagner said that somehow she'd ended up in the water. Deverne, of course, wanted to rescue her, but Wagner told him, leave her, teach her a lesson. He was incredibly drunk at this point, got another bottle of wine, and told Dennis to join him for more drinks. Hours later, they finally called for help. This is on you, Dennis. If, you, <laughs> if this is your version of blaming Robert for the death. Well, the, the thing is, it's interesting because he really, he doesn't give him all the blame. I think he does feel some sort of guilt in some way. 
Um, now, why didn't Dennis tell this version to the police right after the incident? I have a guess. Well, well, what's your guess? That it's not true? <laughs> he claims that in the days after the tragedy, he became a virtual prisoner in Wagner's home. At first, the two started to comfort each other as friends. They were, you know, Dennis was staying with him, shared trauma, all that. But after several weeks, it became very difficult for Dennis to leave. His girlfriend tried to visit the house and was turned away. An alarm system came on at night that prevented him from even opening the door without notifying the household. He had no phone in his room, and Wagner's bodyguard was usually positioned by the door. Well, why don't you just walk out? Was the bodyguard physically preventing him from leaving? Both Deverne and Wagner essentially became drunks and each other's only support in the months after Natalie's death. And the symbiosis, along with everything else, prevented Deverne from making any kind of quote-unquote escape. To complicate matters, Wagner was beginning to act like a real mensch to Deverne. He got Dennis into the Screen Actors Guild, although he'd never acted before in his life. Ah. And Dennis started getting small roles on commercials and was given a role on Heart to Heart. Well, what do you know? I wonder where he got that job. <laughs> Deverne stated, he used to give me checks. A thousand, two thousand. My friend said it was hush money and that RJ wouldn't want anything to do with me after Splendor was gone. I used to tell them that RJ wasn't like that, that he was a real friend to me. And what happened? Eventually, Dennis went to live on the boat while he tried to sell it for RJ, kind of his way of getting out of Wagner's immediate grasp. No one wanted the doomed boat, and it was donated to the Sea Scouts, with Deverne finally escaping to Florida. The Sea Scouts? My dad tried to get me to join the Sea Scouts when I was a, a child. That's adorable. I had never heard of them before. Is that like the Boy Scouts Sea Org? It's like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's, it's kind of like a Boy Scouts-esque organization, but about teaching kids how to sail and stuff. So basically, That's wait. fun. Yeah, it's much less useful skills, but... Well. Not for Natalie Wood. Well, again, just starting with swimming lessons would have been great for Natalie. So after this point, he, yes, did sell his story here and there, including in his 2006 book. In 2011, Deverne publicly stated that he had lied to police during the initial investigation, which I think might open you up to some sort of prosecution. So, I mean, he is making a leap there. What depends, is there a statute of limitations on perjury? That I'm not sure. I, it wasn't like under oath, but I don't know. It was during his police testimony. Um, and he again alleged that Wood and Wagner had argued that evening after RJ accused Natalie of flirting with Christopher Walken, that Wagner was jealous and enraged, and that he had prevented Deverne from searching for Natalie or immediately notifying authorities of her disappearance. The statute of limitations on lying to police is three years if it's a felony count, that and sounds, only one year. That seems like too short. Only so. one year if it's uh, not a felony count. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. In 2012, Los Angeles County Chief Coroner Lakshmanan... Sathyavagisabharan. Oh, I can't help you with this one, dear. <laughs> Lakshmanan Sathyavagaswaran wow. amended Wood's death certificate and changed the cause of death from accidental drowning to drowning and other undetermined factors. Good job on the pronunciation. Thank also, you. what other factors? Undetermined, baby. 
An addendum in 2013 stated the bruises found on Wood's body could have happened before she went into the water, like during a physical assault, and not as a result of a fall from the yacht. There were also additional cuts on her body and face that hadn't even been mentioned in the original report. Though he continues to deny any involvement, in February 2018, Robert Wagner was named an official person of interest in the new police investigation. In 2018? Mm-hmm. And the investigation appears to be ongoing. A new witness came forward to state they saw two people on the rear deck of the Splendor around the time of Natalie's disappearance, which seems to corroborate Davern's story. Davern's story. And another new witness told detectives they heard intense arguing coming from the deck of the Splendor, then sudden silence. I mean, to state the obvious, there are problems with a witness coming forward for the first time 41 years after the crime. But we don't know how... I mean, people have to go out of their way to come forward, right? Because unless they were directly questioned, we don't know if they were. I mean, the investigation was done in two weeks. Right. Maybe they didn't question everyone and maybe they didn't come forward. I mean, I think you should come forward if... You're privy to a murder. But what made them come forward 40 years later? The new investigation. I think they kind of saw headlines and wanted to insert themselves into the middle of it. I don't know, Sean. I don't know. So with the open investigation now, I hope answers are finally found and Natalie either receives justice or her family receives closure. So, Sean, what do you think allegedly, (laughs) happened the night of Natalie Wood's death. You know, I am almost certain that it's somewhere in between the two versions of the story. Mm -hmm. I think Chris Walken probably has the the least reason to lie about this. Being a guy who's never made money off the story, who's not criminally culpable for the murder uh, by anyone's account, Mm -hmm. um, and who was friends with certainly the murder victim, but also the, um, you know. And there are tawdry versions where he's the one having the affair with Robert Wagner because of that weird gay stuff uh, floating around, or, you know, he's involved somehow, but it, it didn't seem too credible to me. Yeah, so I think Walken's version jives pretty well with the boat captain's original version of the story, with a few differences, right? Mm-hmm. And if Wagner and uh, Wood were fighting, loudly fighting to the point where Wagner's smashing wine bottles in the cabin of the boat um, just a few hours before she died, I can see why Robert Wagner would, a very drunk Robert Wagner, would not want to immediately get police there and would want to, um, you know, avoid all of the, like, uh, let's avoid talking about all the screaming and wine bottle throwing I was doing, um, because he is the husband and is going to be the natural uh, suspect. I could see all of that. All of that. I just can't believe her, even drunk, getting into the boat by herself. I know there's this thing of like, she was, uh, she was afraid of dark water. It was her greatest fear. Okay. But we covered a lot of instances in which she just got onto boats on the water. It's not something that she avoided doing. 
it doesn't sound yeah, like she but owned with, a yacht. With a qualified captain with, with company, I don't think she would have gotten on the dinghy even drunk by herself. No matter how pissed she was, she would have just asked Dennis to bring her back to shore, which she had done the night before. I think really drunk. And I think if it was banging against the side, she would have asked Dennis to fix it. For sure. That that was not the answer. But I, I think she was trying to take the, well, I'll take it myself. Uh, I saw how Dennis did it yesterday. I just don't buy it. Because as far as I can tell, she had never taken the dinghy by herself. And it sounded like she was drunk on this boat a lot. <laughs> and oh, they fought sure. on this boat a lot, including yeah. the night before. But I think, I don't know. I think something, there's definitely a missing piece here. Here's the problem. I don't. There think... could have been some sort of fight. Someone, she could have gotten pushed into the water. And then it's like an oh shit moment. And, you know, what do we do? Maybe I just like let the thing go or i don't know no that's possible it's it po- might have been an accident like a a, a passion you know a, a crime of passion or an accident even uh robert wagner definitely knows more than he lets on and i i just i don't know no matter how drunk or pissed i was i would never get in a plane and try to fly myself out of somewhere it's very different <laughs> i know it's really really know, hard to fly if a she's plane. if she's truly terrified again i'll get on a plane if i know that traveling is on the other end maybe this was the the end to the the means to the end of spending time with her husband or getting to you know do stuff on the boat or whatever yeah. i don't know carrie what if spending time with your husband entailed not getting on a plane to go somewhere but just getting on a plane to circle around all day maybe and then that, come back down he seems like a yachter sean it seems like what he likes to do he's a fancy little boy with his robert jr i got news for you she's the star in this relationship she's the money maker yeah but he doesn't he doesn't want to believe that she bought the yacht that i don't know because he was he was rich too oh he actually owned i think both of them but definitely him owned half of charlie's angels the show which one and a half women (laughs) through a production company he had like half of the profits so he was fine at this point i don't know i think there's a lot more to the story but i just don't know what there's no question the stories don't add up but the person who i dislike the most in this story is the boat captain so given that he's the only one he's the one i distrust the most Mm. so given that he's the only one saying robert wagner killed this woman I don't know. There's just nothing to pull me in that direction. Except that... I mean, it's a bad death. Don't get me wrong. Like, it's it's an ignominious, unfortunate death for a, for one of the great starlets of the mid-century, but... And I will say that the fear of water thing is not just something from her childhood or something that other people said about her, like, after the fact. Like, oh, how weird. She was so afraid. Like, I saw a interview from very soon before her death where she's like, oh, I'm I'm very scared of of being in the water and dark water. Like, she, she was more scared of being in the water. I think she felt safe when she was in a boat and, you know, she had a captain and someone who knew that what they were doing and she was close to shore. I think very drunk she uh she either she tries to take the boat back herself because like i just don't buy it i just don't buy it or with the previous night and her asking dennis i just don't buy it or she even just goes up to the deck to take the air she's pissed at her husband again and she slips she slips (sighs) i just i don't know i think there's more to it but i don't know if it's foul play i just think there's more I just think 
I, I genuinely, like, as someone with deep fears, I genuinely don't think she took the dinghy or tried to take the dinghy herself. There's always the accidental push, push you too hard in the middle of your chest, you fall back off the boat, and oh no, I'm drunk, Robert Wagner, what do I do? Mm-hmm. I know that. Be, it could be like a Ted Kennedy incident where he, he, you know, during Chappaquiddick, he comes up like he can't get back to the boat. He's he's in shock. He's like, oh, my God, what have I done? Well, I'm out. Like, that could have been exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. But we have literally no evidence or reason to believe that that's true. No, I'm just saying it's it's possible without making it necessarily malicious or like it's murder. You know, this is more of a manslaughter situation, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess I'm saying I think the most likely situation here is an unfortunate accidental drowning. Yeah, I just... And that's only because there's not one single shred of evidence <laughs> for the other thing, except for this lying boat captain's story that he's been paid for a bunch of times. I don't know. But there's a lot of open questions, and there's a lot of stories <laughs> that don't agree with each other, so it's an interesting case no matter what. I'm so glad that we've covered it. And here. it's an open case right now, so we'll keep you updated if anything new comes to light and from that's the dark, dark water. Friggin' wild. But again, if you, when you talk about somebody coming forward with testimony for the first time 40 years later, we've covered folie à deux on this podcast. You know, uh, delusions that people can convince themselves of in hours or weeks or days, not, you know, years. We'll see. Will we? I don't know. I hope so. Only if there's a breakthrough in the case. Oh, I hope there's a breakthrough. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins. Convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6000 cash, give us each 3000 we give you this. Uh-huh. You go home, and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done, and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. You're here, which means you love podcasts. But are you looking for another kind of entertainment on the go? Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to memoirs, news, business, and more. By signing up for a free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash scary, you'll receive access to thousands of titles with one credit toward any audiobook and two Audible originals, free during your trial and then with subscription each month after. Personally, my favorite Audible title is also my favorite book, It by Stephen King. I went into this audiobook ready to judge because I've loved this novel since I was a kid. But between the stellar production value and the truly breathtaking narration performance by actor Steven Weber, I was 100% all in. If you like this podcast and have a strong stomach, I think you will be too. Not into audiobooks? No problem. 
With podcasts, theatrical performances, guided meditations, and more, Audible offers something for everyone. So what are you waiting for? Get started now. And hey, you'll be helping support the podcast. Visit our link at www.audibletrial.com slash scary for a free trial. That's www.audibletrial.com slash A-I-N-T-I-T-S-C-A-R-Y. Audible. Listen more. We're back with Lizard People Big World. Sean, one of our current favorite TV shows is the subject of an incredibly strange conspiracy theory. Indeed, one of the stars of Apple TV's incredibly charming comedy, Ted Lasso, has been accused of not being a real human being. Oh, we're talking about Roy Kent. <laughs> Brett Goldstein, who plays Grump with a Heart of Gold Roy Kent on the show, has become the center of a conspiracy claiming he's not a human actor, but actually just a creation of Apple's very good CGI technology. Well, it's because his delivery is brilliant, but every line he's that's written for him calls for the exact same brilliant <laughs> delivery. As far back as a year ago, folks have posed the question of if Goldstein is a CGI creation. Uh, and there's like a whole thread of this from a year ago on Reddit with it, responses stating that he is 100% CGI. I swear he glows off the screen and looks like a Halo character in movement and speech. But this is this all came out of like one tweet where someone said he looked exactly like a guy from FIFA, right? Recently, but but people have been literally searching. <laughs> like, look, one of the other responses to the Reddit was, "I know I'm sixty days after sixty seven days after the first post, but I just started the show. I was creeped out by the random CGI, searched it, and this was the top result on Google. What is this shit?" So people were, a year ago, during the first season, like, going, is this guy CGI on Google? And, it, of course, it just became popular from a tweet. But people have been asking this. Um, another response was, thank God this thread exists. It's been the biggest question I've had since I started the show. <laughs> WTF is going on. He must be CGI or something. Now, as you mentioned, Sean, admittedly, Roy is very deadpan and unemotional, but is it possible that this is just a side effect of also being completely rendered from ones and zeros? No, but I do love <laughs> I do love the idea that just to prove how good their animation... <laughs> By the way, Apple's like not... They're a technology company. They're not like an animation studio. I mean, they weren't a production company until recently. But they're, they're still not really, right? They're just throwing their money behind... Yeah, but you could say that about any Disney, Sony. That's not true, because Disney is a studio. And they directly own other studios. So you, but you don't know what Apple's doing. Like, are you certain that Apple isn't a production company? No. I mean, I don't know, but, like, you don't know. <laughs> no, this is a podcast. I'm talking out of my ass. <laughs> Believers agree on several points. He has strangely perfect facial hair. His fabric and skin look perfectly smooth. And he looks just like a soccer player from the FIFA video game series. Those are all real soccer players. No, I mean, like, he looks like one of the the renders of soccer players. 
Perhaps this isn't completely impossible. After all, in the season finale of The Mandalorian, spoiler alert, a young Luke Skywalker shows up, even though Mark Hamill is now, I think, in his 60s. However, I will say possible CGI Roy Kent looks a lot better than deepfake Mark Hamill did. And sounds better. (laughs) Could Apple's tech possibly be better than Disney's? No. (laughs) Their animation tech is not better than Disney's. (laughs) I will say what kind of adds to the fun of this conspiracy is that due to COVID times, we've only really seen Brett Goldstein kind of promoting Ted Lasso in video interviews or in interviews or photos with co-stars who would be in on the uh, the conspiracy, so to speak. But Goldstein does have a film and TV career reaching back to 2009, including appearances on Doctor Who and Drunk History. And he's had a film podcast dating from 2018, so if this is a long con, it's a long con. Well, Doctor Who's had some CGI characters. (laughs) It's true. And uh, yeah, it is kind of fun. Um, Goldstein responded to the rumors recently on Instagram, and clearly he's getting a kick out of it. He made some jokes about living in a production house and chose to be portrayed by a Memoji in his Instagram video instead of like just his face. Oh, yeah, and he says, like, you know, I, I, I just, I'm just into normal bloke stuff, like... Uh, um, rendering. Rendering and buffering. <laughs> yeah, he was funny. Yeah, so, you know, I don't, I mean, he's not CGI, but it's funny. It is funny. I mean, if he, if he just burst onto the scene with Ted Lasso and didn't have a career before this, I would say, that's very interesting. But he was, like, a writer on the Catherine Tate show, and, like, he's been in other stuff, so... This is just, like obviously his big break but this isn't his first rodeo sorry guys i'm sorry that's it for this episode and the first year of ain't it scary with sean and carrie like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ain't it scary and check out our website at ain'titscary.com You can support the show by supporting our sponsors and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash ain't it scary. And please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'll be forever grateful. Don't forget to screenshot your five-star reviews and share with us on social media for your chance to win a gift straight from us. We won't tell what it is, but it's probably a book. (laughs) Probably. Yep, and special thanks to our beloved patrons, Nate Curtis, Sean O'Donnell, Jared Chamberlain, Maria Ferrante, Robin McCabe, Comfy Mike, Alex Nakutis, Ryan Regan, and Christy Atchison. We love you all very much. See you next... That's right. See you next Thursday. Show created by Sean and Carrie McCabe. Music by Kyle Ryan. And you can find Kyle over at Music is a Verb on YouTube if you love intelligent discussion of pop music. This has been a production of Longboy Media. I'm Richard Serrett. Join me on Strange Planet for in-depth conversations with the world's top paranormal investigators, alien abductees, Bigfoot trackers, monster hunters, time travelers, alternative archaeologists, remote viewers, and more. As I was on the way to Area 51, I was stopping on the side of the road and just taking measurements, and I found this one spot where time slowed down by a fraction of a second. It's not supposed to do that. From the two big categories, animal mutilations and human abductions, 
You have to conclude that genetic material is being harvested. Well, I reached for a rifle and uh, I, I turned and looked and it was, it was already moving away and it was descending the bluff. I, there's no way any human could have went down it. It was probably a 75 degree angle straight down almost. On Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, we're redefining reality. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Do not go any further. Turn around. Go home.